Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Wondering where to start? Do you have questions about mortgage and real estate and need honest, accurate answers? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Educated Home Buyer with expert real estate broker, Jeb Smith, and certified mortgage consultant, Josh Lewis, where we discuss everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Welcome back to the show, to the Educated Home Buyer Live, where our goal is to help you buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership and financing. This week, once again, we have Mr. Josh Lewis back, our certified mortgage professional. Josh, welcome to the show. Glad to be back. We're still uh, above ground for another week, so that's a victory, right? Always a victory, um, above ground, if you will. Uh, let's see here. Are we live? We are live. I got errors, bro. I got errors all over the place. So what's happened in the housing market in the last week? I think the biggest thing, right, as many of you guys know, Powell came out last week in Jackson Hole um, and basically confirmed that they are going to continue to fight inflation, that inflation is the biggest um, hurdle, if you will, at the moment. Um, and, you know, dead bodies, they're going to step over them while they continue to uh, to deal with that. We've got some slides that we're going to pop up here in just a minute, but we've seen rates rise because of that, Josh, and um, some volatility in the market. So thoughts on on that before we jump into some of these slides and, and start some uh, education here? Yeah, so we had a nice recovery throughout the month of July. We had peaked up at around, what, 325, 327 on the 10-year yep. um, and, and saw a really nice recovery, probably more than we expected, more than we should have had. At one point, the 10 was down to 276. Um, if you were willing to pay a point, we had rates for the best qualified borrowers on a conventional loan and back down into the high fours. Um, and it was short-lived. We're kind of back, I wouldn't say all the way to the worst levels in interest rates, but pretty close to it. Um, and, and largely, we have to ask ourselves, why? Uh, you guys know, um, we talk every week, I pay a lot of money for some really smart people's analysis, and they're all kind of shaking their heads going, I don't know. I don't know. The only things that we've had um, this week, we had a bunch of strong inflation data out of Europe. Uh, European inflation is very different than the United States. Um, we are a net energy exporter still, and they are incredibly energy dependent. So um, not uh, something that you can easily draw direct comparisons. Second portion of that is just every Fed governor is out running their lips about uh, we're going to go and we're going to be uh, we're going past neutral. We're going to remain restrictive for an extended period of time. Um, and without um, without saying bad things about them, because let's realize all of them are incredibly bright academics. Um, the reality is they've never been out in the real world. They don't know what real world business looks like. They're not talking um, to actual boots on the ground, um, small businesses, mid-sized businesses. Maybe they're talking to like Jamie Dimon over at Chase and getting the, the view from the top. Um, but Did where you were... just take Jamie Dimon's name and make it uh, like a French Dimon? Well, Dimon? however he wants to call it. He's a turd. So we're just going to leave it at that. But um Going back to, let's, let's just go back 12 months ago. What were they telling us in August of 2021? Oh, no, inflation's not a problem. Oh, everything's fine. No, we're, we're, we're fine. We don't need to raise rates. We don't need to stop buying bonds. Uh, we got it all under control. And now they're telling us 180 degree opposite story. They weren't right then. They're probably not right now. 
and the answer is only time will tell. Um, their track record of being right is is not good. They overshoot uh, in terms of accommodation. They overshoot in terms of being too restrictive, and it's made big problems, asset bubbles all all around. Um, so from from there, what what do you say? I, you know, are, your guess is as good as mine is where interest rates go. I don't think the ten years are going to go back up above three twenty five. Um, I don't know how quickly it's going to get back down to two seventy six or below either. I know some really smart people that tell me in the next six months we're going to be under two percent. I have a hard time believing that, but they're smart people with valid sure. opinions. And, and you mentioned you know newsletters and subscribing to different people, and one one person that both of us follow um, is Barry Habib, right? Barry has been a uh, huge advocate of the housing market for a long time. He's bullish on housing. I don't think there's any question there, uh, but he's been pretty spot on with some of his data or, or the majority of his data over the years. Um, it's it's kind of played out in, in the direction that he says it's going to, um, going back a long way, especially with regards to inflation and recessions and that sort of thing. But here's a couple of charts that I snagged from a presentation he did this week. He does these presentations, I, I think at least once a month with a, a different uh, mortgage company and he's, he's there selling his product. Let's, let's not, um, you know, make it more than it is, but he also goes over market data. And one thing he was talking about here is that if you see from this chart, for the most part, as inflation um, rises, you know, interest rates follow suit. Now there was a part where, you know, inflation, you know, back in, I can't read the chart there at 82, if you will, where in, in uh, uh, the CPI index went down, interest rates went down as well, but just not, not quite as much as, as inflation did. And then they've crossed paths here over the last couple of years and we've seen inflation rise. So the if you believe that inflation is going to be a problem for an extended period of time, then there's probably a belief that you should believe also that interest rates are probably going to remain high, maybe even go higher. Um, and this is another chart from that. And, and it's basically, these are the month over month CPI readings. And as a new month comes on, you can see what happens. It's a 12 month rolling average, right? The last month falls off. So the 0.3 from August that you see on the left side of this chart here, when August numbers come out, you know, this month, uh, you're going to see that August number fall off. So if the number is higher than 0.3, right, we just basically 0.0 in, in the month of July. Um, if, if that number is higher than 0.3, that means the inflation readings are going to read higher. Um, and depending on what the market's expecting at that time will dictate kind of the direction of interest rates. So, um, I, I don't really know at the moment. I haven't looked um, to see what they're predicting for for the next uh, CPI reading. Josh, maybe you're up to date on that. I, I don't I don't have it because I, I think the 0, 0.0 for July caught everyone off of guard. Right. So I, I believe, um, you know, I don't know what Barry said about this yesterday, but his expectation was we were going to be hot through September. So that's, I think, kind of what his concern is that he expected August and September to be hot. And there was a reason for that. I don't remember what that reason was. But if they are, like you said, we got 0.3 and 0.4 falling off anything above that. And and CPI is going to go higher uh, for the year over year number. So um, beyond that, we've seen uh, like the, the bigger concern um, over the next four or five, six months is fuel costs have definitely come down, oil down, gas down. Um, when we get into the winter months, there are some concerns that we may see some increases that would lead to, uh, to higher levels of inflation and keeping rates up. Um, you know, again, we, we've talked about this. Are we in a recession? Um, what's the definition? Depending on uh, who's in office, they'll tell you what, what it is. 
recessions have always brought inflation down. We say they've been deflationary. They've actually been disinflationary, meaning whatever inflation was, they have come down. Um, we continue to see numbers um, on a day-to-day -day basis telling us that the economy is slowing. The economy can't slow and still keep inflation at the ultra high levels. It can remain higher than we're comfortable with if we know that the Fed, their, their preferred number is somewhere in the 2% range. If right. we're at 4%, that's half of where we're at right now and they're still not comfortable and happy with right. it. And if we look at a, a 10 year treasury at 3.25 and inflation at 4%, we still have a negative real return. If you're loaning someone money at three and a quarter percent, but everything's gonna cost more 4% per year while you have that money loaned out, you're losing money. That can't happen over the long haul. And that's why we keep coming back to the fact the, of saying that the market, people betting with money, investors money, billions, trillions of dollars in the bond market are saying that inflation is going to come down. $24 million question is, is that three months from now? Is it six months from now? Is it 24 months from now? No, good stuff. And so a couple charts you wanted to add in here with regards to ADP, their employment report. Um, I guess they've changed the way that they're analyzing data, their job numbers, if you will. Um, so we can touch on this and then we can start talking about some, uh, some data from... Uh, yeah. So I, I don't I don't know if any of you guys follow this on a regular basis, but once a month we get uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, comes out with their employment figures. And that's on the first Friday of every month with the data from the previous month. Well, ADP probably 10 years ago said, hey, we have a lot of data. We collect payroll and we know our people being added to payroll, dropped from payroll. So they came out with their number um, and they would come out with that on the Wednesday before the BLS numbers came out. They kind of wanted to front run that, get some attention. It's really um, just marketing for, for ADP. And over the 10 or so years that they've been doing this, their numbers don't track the actual numbers that come out on Friday very closely. So sometimes you would see a super hot number in ADP on Wednesday, market sells off and worries about it, and then on Friday, you have a really soft employment number or vice versa. ADP has a really soft number and everyone goes, oh, it's going to be fine. Then Friday, 500,000 new uh, jobs were, were created and the unemployment rate drops 0.3%. So they, they took a sabbatical, went back, um, and this is the first time in three or four months that they've released their figures. And this is a new methodology they think is more accurate and will more closely align with what we're going to see on Friday. And the important thing that we want to see here is look at June, July, and August. Uh, we went from, I think it was 275 down to like 200. And then August, they're, um, they're expecting, or they're saying there was 132,000 jobs created. So still creating jobs, but at a much lower rate. And when you look at the number of new job creations we need every month to keep inflation level, 132,000 is not quite enough to do it. So if we had a year in a row where we had 130,000 jobs created every month, the unemployment rate would go up, which again, going back to all the Fed governors and what they're looking at um, they're saying we want uh, unemployment higher than it is right now with unemployment this low um, there's too much wage inflation too much heat in the economy so it's an interesting number we will see on friday how it matches up with the actual bls numbers no good stuff and then this chart uh, many of you guys have probably already seen the numbers reported because you know these are the headlines that a lot of the the media uses with regards to it's a median home price you know year over year and based on this case shiller again showing 18% year over year. To me, that number is not really important. Like who cares what homes are worth relative to a year ago? You care what the prices are now, 
what our property is doing now. And the reality is the market is slowing, right? And, and and I don't think anybody's out there surprised by that. And again, you know, these month over month numbers, when they're looking at July or August numbers, if you will, I think this is from July, right? Yeah, it's from June. Um, so when you're looking at June numbers, those, those are properties that sold I mean, or went into escrow in April and May, right? So June numbers um, aren't really reflective of what's happening in the market now. You're likely to continue to see some, some declines, um, not necessarily month over month, because I think month over month, you're going to start to see some stabilization with really, you know, those numbers not moving, but year over year, you're going to continue to see those declines. And then lastly, Josh, anything well, hold you want on. to add on that yeah, one? But, yeah. yeah, before you jump off of that, what you were saying is 100% correct. Who cares what that annual figure is? We know that last August, September, October, the market was still really hot. The important one there is that monthly figure. Last month, home prices were increasing at a 1.6% month over month rate. This month, it was 0.6%. I mean, the difference is is huge. What are we talking? The difference between that 19.9% and now we're talking 7.2%. 7.2% is still hot, but the trend is actually decreasing. So um, we had talked about this earlier in the year. Um, we kind of talked about it all the way back heading into 2021 after we had that hot year in 2020. We're like, we really hope we don't have a year with that much appreciation. And yet we had even more. And then this year starts off equally hot. And you're like, this cannot happen. So I don't want to look at that number and freak out. It's definitely something we want to watch and see where it ends up. Hopefully it, it levels out to the 0.2, 0.3%, which puts us about two and a half, three and a half percent annual home price appreciation, which is sort of like a Goldilocks number. Home buyers know that they don't have to go out and overbid and buy a home this weekend because it's going to be a ton more next year. And homeowners know that they don't have to worry about huge fluctuations in, in their home's value. So that's the, for, to me, that's the important figure there. No, good stuff. And then last one, uh, 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 what is this? Um, FHFA. Oh, yeah, it says it at the top. Uh, their housing price index there, essentially showing similar numbers, a little bit different there. But what's, you know, this is broken down into different regions and what have you. So us Both. being here in the Pacific, yeah, actually showing a decline uh, month over month and, um, you know, a much lower number year over year. Both so. of these indexes are very good in that they are paired sales analysis. You guys often will show up in the, the comments and ask questions about, oh, median home price has dropped. I don't care about median home prices. They move around based off of market mix. Both FHFA and Case Shiller are paired sales indexes, which means they're looking at the same home selling over time. Um, and it, it, they're, they're much better. Now the difference, you're saying, well, why does one say 0.6 and one says 0.1? The FHFA home price index, it excludes all jumbo loans. These are only um, FHA, VA, Fannie, Freddie uh, mortgage loan uh, purchases that are counted in there. And they also exclude cash purchases. So that if, if you look, a lot of the homes that are trading for cash are the expensive ones and are the ones that are being bid up are won by someone with a cash offer. So there are some valid reasons why those two would both be good indexes and good numbers, but come back with a different result. No, good stuff. So um, let us know right now in the in the comments, if you like us to start with charts like this to kind of help provide some context to some of the things that we're talking about, because I feel like it's helpful too to provide a little bit of, you know, where we're getting some of this data and so having some of these conversations. Um, and at the same time, let us know where you're watching from, right? I know we got a lot of West Coasters out there, but we also have some East Coasters watching. Um, I realize it's a little bit later there, uh, but tonight we got a little bit, some, uh, we're doing a little bit, I'm going to start over. Tonight, we're doing <laughs> Try something that a little bit different. Um, we're going to have a guest on. 
Uh, many of you guys might know him, a fellow YouTuber, real estate agent, investor in the Charlotte area. Uh, his name is Sir Ashley. If you haven't uh, watched him, definitely check out his channel. We'll put it in the description below. But the reason we're bringing on this gentleman here at the bottom, welcome to the show, my friend. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. How y'all doing? No worries. Uh, very good, man. So we brought Sir Ashley on because, again, Josh and I are here in Southern California. We're in uh, a different market than a lot of people watching the show. And I think it's helpful to provide some context, right? I'm from North Carolina. I know North Carolina, but I don't follow the real estate market there um, as closely as you do. And, you know, what happens in California a lot of times starts to trickle into other markets, right? I mean, we're kind of the leader in many ways, but at the same time, we might be on the other side of this. You know, if if, if home prices and, and uh, you know, properties aren't selling in another market, maybe that trickles this way. But anyway, we wanted to bring you to the show and, uh, and have a conversation and let people get to know you. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, yeah. Let's, let's, let's jump into it. Absolutely. So uh, before Jeff, before we do hold that, on, hold I on, want Josh. to say I want we, to say it's real, great. Hold on, hold on. We yeah. got a real D one. He, he probably doesn't want to know this. We got a real D one basketball player on here, Josh. Not not a D two, D three, whatever you played. This is a guy who played Jeb, real basketball. Don't speak ignorantly. If you don't know that what D one is, you don't know what it is. So D two, D three. I've never heard of these things. So apparently, you don't understand what the Big Sky Conference is, sir. Where where did you play? Georgetown University. Excellent. So you were you always from uh, Carolina and then went to school? Uh, in, in no, I'm actually from I'm actually from upstate New York. Um, so it was a big deal when I went to uh, so Syracuse is right around in my backyard. So it was a big deal when I went to, went to Georgetown. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. What I was going to say is I'm happy that we have another gentleman in with a lovely hat, number one. And then I had a more important question. Since Jeb yeah. demonstrated ignorance in what uh, conferences <laughs> play and what levels of basketball, I want to know when you hear of someone from Kinston, how backwoods hillbilly do you think they are relative to actual cosmopolitan Charlotte residents? <laughs> um, Kinston. Uh, I one, if I hear you from Kinston, I kind of back away because you might beat me up, right? That's what I first uh, think of Kinston. Kinston. Yeah. Um, it's tough out there. It's tough out there. It, it, it was. But hey, they, but hey, man, we produced some basketball players coming out of that place. Yeah, I was so. going to say, you produce a hell of a lot of basketball players, and they're very, very good. Nah, good stuff. So I'm getting a little bit of feedback from your mic. I don't know if that's happening. Josh, are you hearing it at all? Uh, uh, yeah, it's a little, a little bit of a A little bit of static. So um, Give me uh, one second. Oh, you're good. You're good. Uh, so in the meantime, guys, if you have questions about uh, the market in in, uh, in North Carolina and Charlotte on the East Coast, put those in there as well. We got a lot of people watching from Orange County, Seal Beach. We got some Illinois, got some Virginia. Uh, let's see here, Santa Ana, a lot of California, Miami. Um, so let's let's try it out again. Are you back? What about now? Perfect. Still good stuff. No, you're you're all good. Okay. Awesome. So I, I thought let's just start here. We don't have a lot of questions at the moment, uh, but 175 people watching. So what nice, are you seeing nice. right now in the market? Um, slow down. I mean, obviously, it's, it's probably slowed yeah. down some, but but what does your market look like at the moment? It's definitely slowed down uh, quite a bit, almost a quarter percent as far as um, properties that have sold, 20 uh, percent less properties going under contract and homes are sitting. <laughs> sounds ridiculous to say this. Um, they're sitting for like two and a half, well, I think the average days on market was, well, 1.3 months. Um, 
was average days on market now, whereas for about two years there, it was only 14 to 17 days. That's what it was pushing. Got it. So, you, so. yeah, Mike is still getting some feedback there. Let me let me try to mess, mess around with some things. All right. We'll see you in a sec. Sorry about that. All right. No, you're good. All right, guys. Just trying to make the quality clear so that uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast on Friday, the educated home buyer, because we take this show and dub it to audio so you can listen to it. We got good audio there. Uh, but Josh, we got a question here coming in from, let's see here. Let's go with Rian, Rianu, Rianu oh, and then we'll we get to that one. Yep. Yep. Sup, my dude. So I'm getting worried that the price I bought my new build for may be more than when the appraisal happens in December. What are the chance of home builders working with me? So, you know, what I've seen, I will say I don't do a lot of new construction. Um, there's not a lot in my market, quite frankly, but there is some. I've I've rarely come across an appraisal issue on new construction. Uh, so I don't know that Josh, you could probably answer that a little bit better. Cause you probably do more loans on new construction than, than I run across home buyers on them. Uh, but what are the chances of the, of a builder working with you? I think in December, depending on the amount of inventory they have, probably a little bit more likely to, to work with you. Um, I talked to a buddy of mine who is a builder in Florida in the Orlando market. In fact, he was here in California, moved out about a year ago. Um, or so maybe Maybe not. Maybe at the beginning of this year. I, I don't remember exactly. But anyway, went there. He was a builder here in Southern California. Works for a builder, a bigger company. Went out there. And I, I texted him the other day. I said, is is Florida falling apart like uh, the news says it is? Um, you know, when you're ready to go away houses, call me because I'll buy one. And he basically said, no, it's, it's slowed down. He goes, it's slowed down considerably. But we didn't build a bunch of spec homes up front. We are basically building um, homes at a slower pace for one. And I said, well, the, the number of homes that you're building, you know, that are on the market at the moment, are they already under contract? Are these like properties that you're hoping to go under contract? And he said, most of their construction is actually uh, properties that they're building, you know, that they got contracts on already. So there's not likely going to be a lot of property sitting around. So where I was going with that is if this is a community that has a lot of property sitting around, nobody's buying it, you've got more uh, of an opportunity to negotiate. But Josh, what are your thoughts there on uh, the appraisal question he had? The $24 million question that I have a hard time answering is we've talked before about the builder's 187 page contract. Mm -hmm. um, is there an appraisal contingency in there? Because we've always talked, people ask, hey, what happens on my new build if the, the appraisal doesn't come in? I can't think of a time. I'm sure somewhere back in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, I maybe have seen one. I have never seen an appraisal come in low on new construction it's always possible um, but generally what happens is if you're not the very first one being sold the builder is going to be very careful to not discount the sale price or give um, concessions that are going to take away from the appraised value of your home but if it truly did come in below appraised value i would have to believe you would have an appraisal contingency and that would have to run until the time when you are able to appraise the property which is much later in the transaction than on new construction so um, maybe if you get a minute um, Jeb, shoot, shoot Jeb or me an email with uh, with your contract, the the big giant PDF there. I'd like yeah. to dig through it and see what what it says in terms of uh, an appraisal contingency on that. No, good stuff. And one thing I forgot to mention earlier in uh, the video, and I forgot to do this the last couple of times. Jennifer Lego, our uh, 
our certified, we're certifying her moderator in the chat um, is here to, uh, to, you know, kick you out if you're not listening, um, not doing things according to plan. And she makes her own rules. So these are her rules that she, that she's put in place. So follow them. Uh, but we appreciate you being here, Jennifer. Uh, and so start uh, when you do that. If you're typing a question, put question in there. It helps us again, pick them out um, amongst uh, the, the five people that have actually had a question in here. No, in all seriousness, as it gets busy, it gets a little bit harder to pick out. All right. So, Josh, there was a comment. I started. Start go back to Allie. Yep. No, no. Here we go. Uh, for Orange County seller selling now, what's the best advice to get home sold? Need to sell for relocation? Selling a condo in Aliso Viejo. Uh, good question. Um, you know, it, it comes down to price. It really does. Um, here's what else. And patience. You know, I. that seems crazy. I know. Um but this is the type of market where things are naturally going to slow. Um, properties are going to sit a little bit longer because of seasonality. For one, you got affordability. Interest rates are higher. So that's playing on top of that. Um, and it's not uncommon to see days on the market start to build this time of year. Now, that doesn't mean that your price is wrong. It just means that it might take longer to find that buyer. In which case, if you need to sell it quicker, then it really comes down to price. Um, you can do marketing and photos and there's some other things depending on where your listing is and what it looks like online that might help it. I haven't seen the property. You know, we had Matt come in here last year. He was trying to sell a property in Burbank area. And I said, send me the address. And he sent it to me. And I, 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 I looked at it and I said, dude, I'm not your real estate agent. I can't give you advice, but your pictures are garbage. Like they're not good. You need to have them redone. I mean, it doesn't show the property well. And we talked about some other things. He went and did it. And he, eventually his condo sold um, after doing all of that. And those are things that should have been done up front. So I don't know about that. Commission is another one. Um, a lot of times people don't understand how important that piece of it is on the buyer side, like what they, the buyer's agent sees on commission. That can reflect how quickly you get an offer. There's just a couple of different things there. I mean, I can't really again, give you advice, uh, because it's, it's unethical. It's against, you know, our code of ethics, so to speak. Um, uh, but it's something to, uh, to pay attention to. So photos, price, all of those things, it's all of the pieces. It's not just one thing. And if there's things in the property that need to be done, you might need to do them right. You know, we came out of a market last year where, you know, a seller would have me walk through a house and say, should I do this, 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 and this. And I would, and normally I would say, no, you don't need to do any of that, right? I mean, the property is going to sell tomorrow, you know, and it did. Whereas now you got to start doing some of those things again. Staging is becoming popular again, you know, just fixing some of these things, painting some some light things like that help. Uh, but that's really what it comes down to. Um, but if you want to send it to me, um, you have my email address or you can find it online somewhere. I'll take a look at it and give you my best advice outside of that. Two and a half percent commission is solid. Might might consider, you know, if you don't want to do a price reduction, maybe you up that a little bit, or maybe you put something in the agent remarks, have your agent put something in the agent remarks saying, Hey, you're willing to give a credit to the buyer to pay, to help buy down the interest rate or for a closing cost or for something, right? Just uh, set yourself apart from maybe another listing in the community, especially if there are multiple listings in the community, how can you differentiate yourself in this environment? It's always super important and now more important than ever. All right. Uh, degenerate learner. That's great. I like it. Um, question. As house prices begin to decline, do you anticipate rents to follow as well? Really good question. Um, 
house prices are sticky to the upside. Rents are as well. Um, you know, most people aren't renting in a month to month rental. Uh, most people, when they go in and rent a property, they're in it for at least 12 months. Um, so, you know, in 12 months, will those prices, I, I, I rarely see prices on rents go the other direction, you know, his, traditionally, historically speaking, you know, I've been doing this, you know, almost 20 years, rents rarely ever go the same way. I think the only way, and, and that doesn't mean they can't go down a little bit, right? So if you've got a listing, like for example, I have a property in Huntington Beach right now that we listed at $4,800 per month. Excuse me. It, it was a little high. We were pushing it just to see what the market was doing. And we were getting applications. So let's not be crazy here. I was actually getting applications at $4,800 a month. The problem is a lot of the tenants that were applying, credit scores weren't great. You know, some of them that had decent credit scores didn't have money in the bank. So they weren't really the ideal tenant for my client. Um, so we decided, in fact, to, to lower the rent to 4,600, which is probably closer to where it should be um, based on the market. We're still getting applicants. We're still getting showings. We're still getting whatever. So I think it depends on how much you're willing to sacrifice and what you're willing to do on that rent. But I don't think prices are really going to go too far unless you see a lot of surplus of rentals come to the market, at which point you've got supply. Now, you know, if there's not enough demand there to meet it, you're going to have to do something to adjust. But Josh, what are your thoughts on, on lowering rents? I mean, you own a couple of rental properties. Are you planning on? I, I think it comes down to the same things we talk about on, on for sale home prices. The trophy properties, the ones that people want to live in, like here for us in Huntington Beach, what would you say? The most expensive, nicest, newest apartments are the ones behind uh, Pacific City yep. there. And the prices are absurd. And those yep. will be probably the last prices to, to go down because the people that live there, they're a little bit crazy. They, they want a premium experience. They want to be right by the beach and have a bitchin' new, freshly designed place. Now, if you go just down, you know, there's a couple of, of heavy apartment areas, Beach and Slater, those type of areas. If you start getting vacancies and you don't have a really nice property, there's not a whole lot you can do to draw in tenants other than to be cheaper than other options. So I think most of your bread and butter stuff, the stuff in nice shape, in nice areas is going to do fine. The premium stuff is going to do fine. And the lower end stuff may have to drop prices because they've had pricing power that they've never had over the last few years. When people just couldn't find anywhere to live, they might go, wow, that is just an awful apartment, but I got to live somewhere and I couldn't get accepted anywhere else with my bankruptcy, with my dog, with, with whatever um, there is there. So those would be the things I would be looking at. But all of these questions, I always go back to say, you're, you're leading with a, a conclusion that hasn't been borne out as house prices begin to decline. Home price increases have decelerated, and, and we're going to see over the next few months. Uh, we've talked about what are the range of outcomes. Is a home price decline uh, in, in some areas, in all areas, a possibility? It absolutely is. We're not there yet. Um, you know, Jeb, you had a conversation uh, today with the, the Sacramento appraiser, and just saying, like, it's a lot like what we see here. So Matt, the mortgage guy showed up last week when saying, hey, I'm seeing a lot of my first time buyer areas. The, these homes are getting home, uh, getting price cuts and they still don't sell. And you're talking to uh, an appraiser in the area saying, I'm seeing areas where they're still going at the same prices as they were last year and, and just as quickly. Um, so it's a weird market. It's a weird market to try and get a handle on right now. We always talk about it's not just local, it's hyper local neighborhoods within certain cities within each city will perform differently than, than one another. So it, it's interesting. Thing. I, it's just way premature for anyone to sit here and say, oh, home prices are going to be coming down. Hopefully my rents are going to be coming down. Um, 
I think we're more likely to stay stable somewhere close to close to zero, whether it's a small decline or a small increase in values and rents. That's probably our most likely outcome. Good stuff. I think uh, we lost Sir Ashley. He's uh, he's he's on a sabbatical over there. He said, screw this. I'm not going back on. Those guys are nuts. Uh, we ran him away. So if you're listening, bro. We're waiting on you. Uh, but Steven, Steven gave us $20. Uh, appreciate it, Steven. Um, it says normalizing question mark. I think you're avoiding the term corrections. Face it. If the fed is going to rate rise to raise to at least 4% by the end of the year. And in the end price cuts are hitting both ownership and rent. Now, listen, correction is a matter of terminology, just like normalizing. Here's what I'll tell you. I watched a video today that I did back in 2019. In fact, that video is going to come out on Monday and it's going to have me talking back then of what the market looked like. I could have played that video today and you would have had no idea whether I was talking about right now or back in 2019. Why is that? Because the market is very similar. Now, when you look back at 2019, were you one of the people that think that thought a housing bubble was coming? Because there were, and I actually mentioned that in the video. Is it normal for prices to slow at the end of the year? Is it normal for days on the market to start to build as you head into this time of year? These are all things I'm asking because that is what we're seeing. Now, yes, the Fed is going to continue to raise the Fed funds rate. Are they going to get as high as 4%? I don't know. Um, I don't think they're going to hit 4% this year. Maybe I'm wrong. Depends on what happens to inflation. But with that said, what makes home prices go down? That's what I'm asking. What makes home prices go down? Tell me in the comments, everybody, tell me what makes home prices go down. It's got to be more supply than you have demand, right? If you have a lot of something and not a lot of people that want it, then, then, then the numbers will regress, right? And, 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 or go the other way. Well, here's what you have at the moment. You have a market that's still moving sideways, right? There's inventories peaked for the year. I think we can all agree to that at this point, unless you guys think something's crazy is going to happen. Um, numbers here in Orange County, again, dropped this week. We're sitting at 33,734. Huntington Beach, 235. Last week, we were at 3,860 or 40-something for Orange County, 243 for Huntington Beach. Uh, we saw numbers on both of those. Huntington Beach was as high as 270-ish. Uh, Orange County was as high as 4,300. So we've pulled back, right, with inventory. So what's going to cause people to put their homes on the market? Because they're not doing it now. They're looking at home prices saying, that house is more expensive than I, than I bought my house for. Interest rate is more expensive than I bought my house for. It's going to cost me significantly more to move. And there's transaction cost involved. And if you really want to see what this looks like, I did a video that's going to be posted on Friday of why house prices are sticky to the upside, why house prices don't really adjust in this type of environment. Now, Stephen, could I be wrong? Sure, I could be. I just don't see any case in which it happens quickly uh, if that's the case. And yes, the Fed is going to adjust the Fed funds rate. What that does to interest rates, I don't know. But if they continue, here's what the thing is. If interest rates continue to go up, what does that do? It just affects affordability. It affects buyer demand out there. And unless you have to sell, what's 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 the reason for selling? Jeb. Right? No, no new homes are going to come to the market. Jeb, I'm going to step about, off my soapbox. Think about this. No, no, you're 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 right on track. So, Jeb, think about this. We've we've talked about all along willing and able demand. 
So at a certain point, there's always willing demand. You guys are here watching. Everyone is always willing to buy a home. Are you able to buy a home at the current levels of affordability? We've never really applied that concept of supply, and we are absolutely seeing that right now. Willing supply. There's always able supply. You can you can put your home on the market if you want to at any point in time if you have equity and sell your home. There's not a barrier to it like there is in qualifying for a mortgage. But in selling, you have to have a good alternative. What is the good alternative for a homeowner? Let's use a super simple example. Uh, I'm not even going to use numbers here in Southern California. Let's say you were in an area like North Idaho and you bought for $300,000 six years ago. The house is worth $650,000 now. You probably refinanced from the 4.5% rate you bought at down to somewhere around 3%. You have a $300,000 mortgage at 3%. What in the world do you want so differently in your home that you're going to sell that house and go pay $650,000, um, pay costs on selling your home, pay loan costs, and double your interest rate, even if it was just a lateral move across to 650. Um, how many people who've owned a home for the last five or six years now say, hey, you know what? I'm confident this is the top of the market. I'm going to sell and I'm going to be the genius to buy back in at a lower rate. And with that, Jeb, I don't know if you have the numbers in front of you, if you wanted to share them, because I think you were doing a separate video on that. Yeah. But Jeb ran the numbers a, a couple of days ago. Do you want, let, you let want to go it. through them or you want to yeah, say yeah. them? Let, let, no, I mean, they'll come out in the video where I actually dive into more. But let me let me just find. Uh, hold on one second here. So it was almost the example Jeb has is almost that similar price range. You're looking to buy a five hundred thousand dollars house. Well, I mean, here, here's 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 the quick. These aren't exact, but this is what the video will show you. That if you bought a house, uh, say for five hundred thousand dollars, let's just say it was last year, maybe even the year before, right? And, and five hundred thousand may be higher in your area or lower than your area, whatever. We can do it at a million too because I do that in the video. But let's say you paid five hundred thousand dollars for that video, and uh, on top of that. Uh, that the $500,000 video, you, you got a 3% interest rate, really low, right? Um, and, and let's say you put 5% down, you put very little money down in that case. So on a $500,000, probably that's 25 grand. So you're financing 475 at 3% interest rate. Your payment's basically two, two, two grand a month, just over two grand a month. Well, let's say you're, you know, thinking you're going to go sell or wait for home prices to come down. So you're going to sell that property and you're going to wait for home prices to come down. And let's say you get lucky and somehow home prices drop 20%. So I don't think there's any world in which that happens, but let's say they do. And now that $500,000 property is $400,000. Let's again say you just put 5% down. That's uh, what, $20,000 on that property. You're financing three eighty. dollars But today, interest rates are 6%. It's That payment's $2,200. So it's $200 more per month to own that property that's $100,000 less. Now, I know as many of you want to say this, and I've Trust me, I've had, I sell on average about 30, 35 homes a year, right? As an individual agent and have for a, a long period of time. And I have a lot of conversations with a lot more buyers than I actually close deals on. People are more worried about the price that they pay per month than they are the price that they pay for that property. As many, I know people say, I want a less expensive house at a higher rate. And I agree with that. I agree with that 100% because you can pay that house off over time. But the majority of people will never do that. Only 38% of Americans own their house free and clear. And the majority of those people are seniors who bought their house for a lot less money. So 
People don't pay off their houses. They pay a monthly payment. So as much as people want to say, I care about the price, they don't. They care about the monthly payment. If I told you today you could buy a million-dollar house for $2,200, you'd be all over it, right? So that's the idea. So what I'm getting at here is even if prices pull back, I don't get – there's there's nothing changing here, people. And so, Jeb, it's, anyway. it's not it's not even just that as simple as that. We oh we got more to go, Jeb. He's, oh, we got another giving, fifty he's, bucks. Who's he's giving guy? more money. We we who keep is going. this guy? If you want to keep throwing money, we'll throw it up. Hey, here. no, I mean so, he's making. I I feel like his points are valid. Like these are real real. No, they they, yeah. they they are. So what you were talking about is people buy a home payment. Well, home prices over time. This is easy to chart out. You can find the data. Are a function of household incomes, home prices, and interest rates. So since the last downturn in 2008, incomes have gone up a lot. Interest rates went down a lot. Home prices went up a lot. We are above the long-term linear trend. So there are a lot of people saying this, home prices have to come down. There has to be a correction. They are incorrect. They have to correct. And what we're telling you is they can correct in any number of ways. I will tell you, so listen, we had another follow-up here that Ben Savage pops in. Hey, Jeb, do you still think two months ago was a good time to buy a house? I Always do. say Absolutely. buy a house. But it's never about buy a house. Everyone should own a home over the long run, but it's when to enter in. And I will tell anyone, if you're buying a house today and you have the expectation of seeing anything like the, the home price appreciation we've seen over the last two years, you're going to be sadly disappointed because that same trend, that same chart that shows you home prices relative uh, to home payments relative to income is really static. And we've hit a ceiling on that. There is not a lot of room to push that higher. That does not mean that it has to crash or correct. We saw that one time in 2008, and we're not gonna go back and re-go through those numbers of how 2008 was different, because if you haven't done your research, don't already know that inside and out, you aren't paying attention. You're a renter and you are hoping and praying and dreaming that you're gonna get a time machine back to two years ago, which is never going to happen. Can we have a correction? Can home prices drop from here? Sure. Absolutely. What is the potential magnitude of that? To get back to where we were pre-pandemic would be a 25% decrease or more, more like 30 to 35% decrease in home prices. It is never going to happen because sellers will not sell into that market. It just won't happen. So Stephen is actually in a very different market. So again, we talk about things being local. Stephen's talking about here, Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is a crazy market. It's one of the three or four highest income markets, highest cost markets. We've seen this before in 2001, 2002. He's throwing some of that stock option money at us. In, in 2001, 2002, we had that tech crash and home prices dropped 10, 12% in the Bay Area. And two years later, they were back above that. I'm not saying that's going to happen now or that if they did, that they would pop back up. But the example that you're using is an extreme one. Wow. And, and you may be right. And you may have more knowledge of the Silicon Valley market than we do, because I look at it. We talked about it a few weeks ago. We have Eichler homes here in, in the city of Orange. The exact same homes were built in Palo Alto. The ones in Orange are up to about one three, one four now. The ones in Palo Alto are 2-1, 2-3, two, one, two, three, Dude, two one just four. sold for like 1-8. You're, you're, okay, so the, the yeah. numbers are, are insane here, and they're extra insane there. So I don't pretend to understand that. I don't know that economy that well. But again, there's a lot of people running around with play money off of the RSUs that you're talking about. If someone you know has $2 million in RSU money, that's different than someone well, here. I think it's important a, too, Josh, is that you know that market right is a big tech market. 
a lot of those, again, I'm not, I'm not justifying or saying it's right or wrong, but what I will say is that that's a market now where, where companies are exploring areas outside of, of Silicon Valley because um, of, of the prices, right? People are moving to Austin. Austin's now a tech hub. There's, they're going to outside of Nashville, Ash, outside of Nashville is supposed to be now an upcoming tech hub. So if that pulls population growth, job growth away from a city, could you see declines in prices and, and rents? Absolutely. You could 1000%, but that's, that's an, you know, a small minority of what we're talking about here. So, I mean, again, I, I just evictions. You know, the one thing we don't know, and, and I brought this up to Josh the other day, is we don't know how strapped the consumer is. How strapped is the consumer really with regards to credit card debt, with regards to um, just different things, right? How how leveraged are these people? That I don't know. I, I, I don't. But what I can tell you is the one thing I do know is that they need housing. They need housing more than they need anything else. So if they own a home, Chances are they're going to fight to keep that home more so than they're going to fight to keep that Tesla or or whatever else because they need it. That's where they live. That's, you know, their foundation, if you will. So, again, we could go down a rabbit hole on this thing. Um, I appreciate the support. I appreciate the comments. Um, well, but since, I he just... gave us, since he gave us $70, Jeb, I want to give him a free one here. Yeah. He apparently thinks that we're frowning now. And Redfin, Zillow, CoreLogic, so many resources, anything, major drops in demand and mortgage companies going bankrupt. I don't know if you were paying attention to the beginning of the show. We've talked about the decreased demand. Decreased demand is a function of affordability. I have no less people that want to buy. I have far less people who can buy, who can qualify today. So there's been a decrease in demand. What we've just sat here for the last 20 minutes explaining to you is there's also a decrease in supply. You have to have a change in the supply demand imbalance to have this big crash. And you may be right. That may be occurring in Silicon Valley. I am not an expert in that market. It's so high priced, like I will tell you, our bread and butter is people getting loans anywhere from 450 to a million. When you're talking about people buying two and three and $4 million properties, not my bread and butter, not my market, not my expertise. But I, I mean, the question, if you want to pop up here and answer this, Stephen, do you own a home right now or are you a renter? I'm pretty sure I can answer that question. There you go. Good stuff. Uh, another super chat here, George Vashigan. Vashigan? George. We'll just call you George. <laughs> that works. Dudes, there's 1.7 new units coming to the market this year. That alone combined with damping demand will not do that. Wrong. That is not accurate. So if you're going to throw stats up here, I appreciate the money, but one, there's not 1.7 million units coming to the market. So let's let's back up a minute. So there's currently about 1.3 um, housing units on the market, right? Supply. But what they don't, what you don't understand, or maybe you do understand, is that they also count homes that are under contract in those numbers. Okay, so there's about 500, $600,000, 600,000 homes of that 1.3 of supply on the market at the moment is actually under contract. So there's far less homes than, than the number that's out there. But on top of that, you're probably talking about new construction. New construction. And when you're talking about the 1.6, 1.7 number, um, some of that is available, a, a small percentage. We showed this chart last week. Um, I don't think I have it on my computer at the moment. If so, I, I'll grab it. But there's a small percentage of those people that are actually under, uh, that, are, that are, those homes are available. There's a larger majority of those homes that are, that are under um, construction. And then there's a percentage of those homes that have permits pulled, that the ground's not broken on those homes. So 
I think it's all fair to say that they're not going to build those homes if they think the market's going to crash. So those homes aren't available. Um, and, and, you know, everybody looks at the number of homes that are under contract saying that, that right there, when those hit the market, that's the telltale sign that's going to bring all this down for one, all of those homes aren't going to hit the market at the same time. So that's, that's one thing. Secondly, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, when I talked about a buddy of mine who's works for a big builder, um, and they're currently building homes in, uh, Southern California, they're building homes in Arizona, building <laughs> homes in Orlando. Um, Jesus Christ, what's going Is this another one? No. Okay. Um, uh, in Orlando, <laughs> what are you laughing at over there? Orlando. Well, Steve, 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 Stephen came back to tell us he has two, two degrees in quantitative business analysis and clearly didn't answer the question. He doesn't own a home. He wants home prices to be much lower. And he has a degree that tells him that they're going to magically come lower because he wants to. And again, Stephen, the Silicon Valley may absolutely do that. It's one of the craziest markets in the country. The nationwide market is not going to do that. The little things that you're reading on Redfin Zillow, you, you don't... Again, you have the numbers, you have your degree, you're a smart person, you're thinking the right thoughts and asking the right questions. And clearly you've come to the conclusion that buying is not the right decision. Well, well, here's the right last now. thing I'll say. On, the, on Let me finish the point on the new construction. The majority of that new construction is, is, is people that are under contract on that. So yeah, some of those people will back out. Some of them, you know, will move forward. Some of them aren't under contract. So it's not 1.7 million homes coming to the market. So again, that's a headline grabber. It's something to throw out there but I appreciate the $5. All right, so let's move on to something other than uh, Stephen. While it was a nice gesture, um, we we will drink 805s with your $70, Stephen, and be a lot more lighthearted um, in conversation when we do it. No, so, and at the end of the day, I like it. He was respectful. He's got his no, points. He believes it. I, I like it. I'm, I don't want to sound like we're I'm not, him. I'm not discounting anybody. Yeah. I mean, you can, again, that's the one thing I tell have said to Jennifer is like somebody comes in here and says something negative, leave it. I don't care. Like I don't delete comments off videos. You want to say I'm an idiot? Sure. That's fine. You, you're welcome to your opinion. Sometimes I am an idiot. Um, and, and I will be honest. I, I am, I have my biases to certain things, it, you know, when it comes to real estate and looking at these numbers, because I've, I've done it long enough um, that I know how the media or anybody can use a headline to make their story sound one way. When in fact, it might not be that at all. And that's what I'm trying to get across here. Uh, but anyhow, let's go this. Uh, Tangi, Tangi said, is the 2-1 buy-down interest rate a good idea to consider? So Josh, what is a 2-1 two, uh, two buy-down, first off? Um, and when should you consider something like that? So let's let's talk about oh, it. And before we do that, yeah. those that were here for Sir Ashley, he's got an internet issue. Uh, and so he may or may not be back. So... If he's not back tonight, he'll be back next week with a good mic and a good router. There we go. <laughs> we'll send him a router. We'll send take that router. $70 and we'll send him a Google Mesh network. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So the question is, is the two-one down buy down, two one buy down interest rate a good idea to consider? So let's talk about first what it is. It is a loan where if we say, let's make it super simple. If your rate that you're being offered today is 6%, a two-one buy down would be 2% lower for one year. So your first year would be 4%. Your second year would be 1% lower. So 5%. And then you would go to the 6%. Now that has to be paid for. The lender's just not volunteering to give you a discount. You can pay for it yourself by taking a higher than market interest rate. So again, if your rate is 6% today, you can cover that by going to maybe six and a half, six and three quarters. Now that mitigates some of the benefit because now 2% less than that is four and a half, four and three quarters, five and a half, five and three quarters, and then you're at a higher interest rate. 
you can also get it paid for by the seller. The seller can pay a couple points for you and that covers the cost of it. So when is it a good idea? When is it beneficial? When you believe that rates are gonna be lower in the next couple of years or your income is going to be higher, it can bridge the gap and get you into a home where you're comfortable with the payment and uh, then either refinance later or you're gonna be making more money later. Or a lot of times we have um, families taking parental leave and they're like, I just need a lower payment for the next year while we, we stay home with our baby. So lots of reasons, it can be a tool to use it. So we wanna know, are you paying for it yourself out of pocket? Are you paying for it yourself in a higher interest rate? Or are you getting it paid for by the seller? In which case you're, you're still paying for it because you're paying a higher price than they otherwise would have accepted if they didn't pay it. So just wanna know that we're using it strategically. It's a tool. All tools can be used well um, and, and they can also be used poorly. We can use a hammer to drive in a nail or to break into someone's car. We wanna make sure we're using it for the best possible benefit. So if someone's proposing it to you, if you're talking to a lender and they're saying it's a great thing, ask them why and tell them what your plans are over the next few years. And, and it may or it may not be. Good stuff. Um, great explanation, by the way. So Chris has a question that we rarely, actually, I, I don't know that we've ever had um, the common, at least a combination of these two questions. So DSCR loan. So for one, ex explain what a DSCR loan is. Uh, for Airbnbs, for anybody that knows, what it, I think all of us know what an Airbnb is at this point, short-term rental, right? Um, asking, are they are they a real thing? And then so many YouTubers are saying you can get this loan and lend to an LLC, Josh Jeb. So, Josh, are you frozen over there? I can you hear me? I can I hear you, but you're frozen. I think you're good, that's a good that's a good look on my face while I'm frozen there too. Just this is let, fantastic. Let frozen. No, we were Josh talking shit on uh, <laughs> on Sir Ashley's internet connection, and he sent us. I think he pinged us, bro. He went into command prompt and sent like bits of data toward us. Okay, uh, so a, a debt service coverage ratio loan is one where the rents for the property, so it's only non-owner occupied, has to be an investment property, whether it's uh, an Airbnb or a regular home. Um, the rents are used to qualify. So bro, I can't take you serious. Can you can you reset your I, camera I, or something? What, what, do, what do you want me to do? You want me to I don't know. Turn, turn your turn camera off. off and turn it back on. I what like it. I, I like that. It looks like I don't know. It looks like I'm having. I'm constipated. I or can't. Something. I can't have a conversation with a fucking statue. <laughs> <laughs> now we got nothing oh geez what, what? tonight is the, the tech rack and the best part was before we got oh, on the show i was so telling good. you how happy i was with my new setup and how stable it is <laughs> oh gosh i'm gonna go solo i brought you in here bro to to help out look at you you're making my what are you doing? I don't know. I don't. Are you? You're, you're finishing up by yourself, man. You're, you're clearly just going to restart up by your yourself. computer and come back in here or something. Maybe I might be back. I might go home. All right, we'll log find in out. There. We'll All right, he's out. All right, so Josh is out for a second, guys. Sorry that, and I just dropped an f bomb on here. So sorry about that as well. If any of you are offended, uh, I apologize. So what we're going to do is we're going to bring back to your question here in a second, Chris. We're going to let uh, Josh actually answer it um, because he is. Uh, you know, something he does on, on the daily, if you will, with regards to um, to DSCR loans and that sort of thing. So uh, we're going to go to Jose's question real quick. The important question to a first-time homebuyer like me, is it a good time to buy or just wait one to two years? I would ask you what you get by waiting one to two years. Do you get lower home prices? There's a possibility. I don't think so personally. I think you see more of a sideways movement in the housing market. Um, but what do you get? Do you get more of a down payment? Are you able to get your credit scores up? Are you able to get better terms on your loan? 
if that's what you're shooting for and, and you're in the position now where maybe you don't have the down payment, you're stretching yourself or whatever the situation is, then waiting is the right answer. But if you're waiting, trying to time the market, I don't think that's ever the right answer. I mean, you know, I, I released a video the other day uh, talking about timing the market and some other things. And I, it's very difficult to do. It's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market, right? So you have time on your side. You're able to withstand bumps and all of that stuff. And not that I think the market's crashing, but it's a time where you should be more conservative if you're planning on buying a house because of the environment, right? House prices appreciating, headed into a recession, very likely. Um, all of that is going to play a part uh, in in whether, you know, and in, in, in how comfortable you are with that payment. And so that's something I can't answer for you. Um, it's something no one can answer. You got to be comfortable with it. And I'll tell you, buying a house, even if it's the perfect time in your life and everything is is exactly the way that it should be, you know, you got the down payment, you're, you're, you got reserves, all of that is still scary, right? It's a lot of money to put down on a property, regardless whether you put in 5% down or 20% down. It's a lot of money um, when you're talking about where house prices are. And it's scary. It's easy to get cold feet. It's easy to have regrets. I see it all the time. Buyer's remorse is a real thing. Whether you buy a house and you really have remorse because you bought in the wrong location or something was wrong with it, or you just bought it and you have remorse from like spending that much money. I'll be honest. Like, I, I don't like to spend money on on certain things. I have no problem spending money on going out to dinner and you know things with family and that sort of thing. But like when I go out and buy something and it's like, you know, like my kids want a PS5, right? So if I go out and spend $500 on a PS5, I'm going to immediately regret that because it's a lot of money spending on one thing. So just got to make sure I, I get it. The two aren't the same, but you just got to make sure you're comfortable with it. Uh, so we've clearly lost Josh. We've lost Sir Ashley. Both these guys bailed on me. Not sure what's going on here. Um, so let's see what we got here. We're going to move on to the next question. Darren said, do you see home values dropping to where sellers have to take significantly under appraised values and give thousands in credits? Some channels are predicting major price drops. I don't see it. I'm asking you why somebody would sell their home for significantly less. Typically, People only sell properties or have to sell properties in three situations, the three D's, if you will, right? So uh, divorce, you know, a death, right? A death in the family, you can't keep the house. There's there's that reason you would sell a house. Um, divorce, right? You can't agree on who's going to get the property or you, neither of you get the property, you got to sell it. That's a situation where it's a forced sale in some regard. And the last one is debt. You get yourself into too much debt and you have to sell that property. In which of those scenarios, um, I mean, those three are are a very small percentage of, of the market. Um, typically, people only have to take significantly less than, say, uh, uh, an appraised value is if they're in a distressed situation. And, and how do you get in a distressed situation? You get employment issues. Um, you know, you've leveraged yourself. You have no savings. It, it, are there people like that in the market? Sure, there are. I just don't feel like that's the majority of people, you know, in this video that I'm posting on Friday, where I talk about house prices being sticky and why this isn't likely to happen. I show you a chart of people's down payments going back to 2018. The majority of people out there are putting at least 10% down to buy a property, you know? And so on top of the equity they've gained over the last two years, these people are sitting pretty nicely. Even if home prices did pull back, these people are in a position where they can sell at market value. There's no distress there. Who are the people most affected? The people that are buying now or a couple of months ago. But 
unless you care what the value of your house is tomorrow, why does it matter? Like I, I, too many, I see this all the time, but too many people, it's the generation. And I sound like an old guy, I'm 42, but everybody today is worried about what the value of their house is tomorrow. If you're buying for the right reasons, it doesn't really matter what the value of your house is tomorrow. I bought in 2012. I never looked or cared what the value of my house was for an ex for a long period of time. Even though I'm in real estate, I had an idea, but I didn't care. I still don't care. Why? Because I'm not selling the property. And it's gone up a, over 100% since I bought it. I just bought because it was the right time in my life. And that's the reason everybody should buy. Uh, let's see here. Unless you're an investor. And then obviously that's a whole different situation. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Sir Ashley apologized uh, to you guys. Internet issues. Had to restart his router. So if he's not able to come back uh, tonight, we will uh, we'll get him on the next one. Uh, let's see. Cindy said, for conventional loans, how can MIP? And Josh is back. Look at this guy. So, Josh, I just pulled up this question. I'm going to throw it your way real quick, and then we'll get you back on the DSCR one. For conventional loans, how can the MIP be removed? Is it 20% equity from the time of purchase or current price? Originally gave 10% down in January 2021. So it's when you reach 78% of, uh, of the loan to value based off of amortization, if you want to wait for it to automatically be removed, um, you have to have it for at least two years so that you can a exhibit a, a good payment history. But after that, you can petition the lender with an appraisal, show the value that you've achieved 20% equity, you've made on-time payments and ask them to remove it. Um, sometimes they will consider it in less than two years. We've had folks show up here uh, and give us their experience. And some have had uh, lenders work with with them in less than two years and some of them said nope we're going to hold you to the two years that fannie allows us good stuff uh nice going back to chris's question here let's just start over at the beginning what is a dscr <laughs> loan um and then the idea of llc's llc's is like this big thing on youtube right now it, it's everywhere right because it's like this whole investor thing to not tie up the liability i get it is it necessary josh thoughts yeah, no, it's almost two separate questions. Let's cover both of them. It's a debt service coverage ratio loan. It's only for investment properties. It's the rent that, that comes from the property um, is used to qualify you. And we, when these first came out a few years back, it had to be 125% of the mortgage payment. Then we've got all the way down to 1%. So it's just if your mortgage payment is equal to the rents. Now some of them will let you have mortgage payment slightly higher than the rents but you're paying a premium for this. And this program worked a heck of a lot better um, a year ago when rates were much, much lower. So now your, your rates themselves for the best loans are in the mid fives to, to sixes. And now you're paying a one to 2% premium on top of that. Now, can those loans be done to LLCs? Yes, they can. Fannie, Freddie, FHA, VA, and most jumbo lenders will not loan to any entity. They're only gonna loan to a person or a trust. So these types of loans, the lenders are getting a premium. They understand. The, the audience is investors. Investors may want to use an LLC, but not all lenders will allow it. And you're probably pushing yourself to a lender that will have yet even higher terms on that, which is hurting your cash flow when you're looking at it for uh, a regular rental or an Airbnb. And the reason why you hear it in the context of Airbnbs, um, get the right property in the right area, the rents bring in such a high level of rent that you don't care what your your cash flow would look like or what your interest rate is the best example i have i have a realtor friend of mine we do all of her loans she's up in south lake tahoe they own a home they her and her sister own a home uh in daytona beach and if it were a regular rental it would bring in 
four grand a month, maybe. So what are we talking, $50,000 a year? They bring in almost $200,000 a year with that thing. So when, when the numbers get skewed so much, when you buy the right property in the right rental market, maybe you don't care about those terms. And the LLC, the asset protection um, is important. It can be important. Um, one of the big things with an Airbnb is liability. You don't know what's going on when you're not there. You could have a frat come in and just take over, blow up the house, kill everyone in it, or worse, and and you're liable for that or could be liable for that. So the LLC can be a good reason. So hopefully that gives you a big broad overview of what the DSCR is and when and why you might want to, to borrow as an LLC. Good, good stuff there, Mr. Joshua. Um, let's see. There were some good questions in here. Um, okay. Uh, she's luscious beauty bar. Uh, do you think 203k FHA 203k is better for first time home buyers? I don't know what the multi is, maybe multifamily. Uh, but do you think an FHA 203k is a good loan for first time home buyers? Let's kind of talk about both pieces. 203k is a good loan. Um, it's a difficult loan. At its core, it is a standard FHA loan, but it also allows for borrowing off of the after repaired value to include the cost of renovations to bring a property up to code, make it nicer, and all of that. So most of our FHA buyers are first-time home buyers. They don't have experience with contractors. In the best of times, contractors can be difficult to work with. Right now, they're busy. They have a lot of business. Materials are expensive. Timelines, lead times are difficult. I would just say use extreme caution with it. Now, if we're talking a multifamily with that, you just increase the, the, the difficulty of it exponentially. And we'll go back to an answer we gave to this question a couple of weeks ago. FHA multifamily, three and four units. We have to pass the self-sufficiency test, meaning though, even you're going to live in one of the units, if it's four units, the rents from all four units multiplied by 75% to allow for a vacancy and expense factor have to exceed the principal interest taxes insurance for the home. In Southern California, other high cost areas, I haven't seen one pass that self-sufficiency test in five, six, seven years. In other parts of the country, almost all of them pass. So if you live in a lower cost area and you want to use an FHA to buy a fourplex, I think it's awesome. Just make sure you're dealing with a lender that knows what the hell they're talking about and doesn't go through the numbers and go, oh, you make good money, you qualify and not know about that one little um, catch because there's no working around it. So if you find out later on in the process, there's no working around it and there's really no other three and a half percent down three and four unit purchase loans. Good stuff. Um, and if you need to get in touch with a mortgage professional, whether it be, you know, someone here in California or any other state and or a real estate agent just made a referral actually today uh, to an agent in Albuquerque. Um, so if you need that, uh, click on that link below or go to that website below and I'll put you in touch with somebody personally that'll take good care of you. Um, Allie is asking, do you or can you do the 2-1 buy down with FHA? So earlier we were talking about that 2-1 buy down. Can you do it with FHA as well, Josh, or is it just a conventional thing? For the most part, you can do it with all loan types except for jumbo type stuff. And I'm not saying there's no jumbo lenders that would allow it. Um, they're just more restrictive and they don't get into the unique stuff like this. But FHA, VA, conventional, and I'm not 100% sure about USDA, but I would be surprised if USDA wouldn't do it. Good stuff. So we're going to hit that one. Andre says, which is better a... Uh, a bank, a mortgage broker that specializes in mortgage, basically who is better, a broker, a bank, a credit union. So I think all three serve their purpose um, in what they do, but I, I'm biased uh, in the fact that I was a mortgage broker. Josh is a mortgage broker. I refer my clients typically to mortgage brokers, but sometimes I'll be honest, the, the banks end up better in some scenarios. 
so it's it's good to have a conversation with, you know, I would say maybe one of each at most, um, you know, or typically just a bank and a, and a broker is, is kind of the direction you want to go. Um, and from there, you know, it's it's interest rate is is a is a component. Fees are a component, not the whole picture. Right. Both of those service communication explanation being available is probably the larger majority of those. I would say that's probably makes up 50% where the other two make up maybe 25%, but just do your homework, have a conversation with somebody, you know, and, and see if you get a good feel for them. Uh, but yeah, talk to, talk to one of each Josh, anything you want to add on that self-serving, but here, well, here's the thing I say, never say always never say never. You can get a good loan from all of those sources. What I will say is, Good terms are important. The only way you're gonna know you're getting good terms is to talk to both. Talk to your bank. I am never offended by someone saying, hey, I talked to my bank and they can do this. Say, cool, here's what we can do. Is, is the difference significant? Usually we're better, but not always. Um, and when we say that, say, how was the experience? You know, banks for the most part don't hire experienced outside loan officers. And I say that for the most part, because Jeb and I both know a handful of really good outside experienced loan officers that work for big banks. So yep. if you're going to go with the bank, find one of them and don't work with the, the guy sitting at the desk inside the branch, because if, if they're relying on that for their business, instead of going out and building relationships with realtors and borrowers, it's just, you're not likely to get the experience you want with a credit union. Uh, again, never say never. I've never seen them have outside salespeople. You're dealing with someone there in the branch. That being said, there are times when credit unions can be so amazingly well-priced that you would deal with a lower level of service, which is not going to be horrible because it's your credit union. They're there to serve you. It's not a bad experience. But for the most part, I will tell people, check the numbers. I'm quite confident we can beat a credit union. I'm quite confident we can beat a bank. And I think the most important decision, if you have three options that are all within a range of one another um, in, in interest rate and in points and fees, um, really make sure you go with the person that you can communicate the best with, that has the most knowledge and expertise and just works well with you. You're going to work closely with that person. You want to know they're going to pick up your calls, they're going to answer your texts, and they're going to get you honest, accurate answers in a timely manner and keep you in the loop through the process. From that perspective, uh, we'll leave it on this, Jeb. I will say of those three options, the one you might get the worst experience from is a bad broker. There's less quality control in the broker channel than there is in credit Good. unions and banks. You, so if you just said, hey, I don't want to shop around. I don't want to take a chance. I'm okay with middle of the road terms, middle of the road service. Um, which may be a greater likelihood there, but I just don't want to get with a, an idiot that that's going to string me along, give me wrong information. Unfortunately, we have more of those in the broker channel than you would ever see working for a bank or credit union. Good stuff. And I threw Ambrose's question up here as well while you were talking because it's essentially the same question. So hopefully, Ambrose, uh, you were able to parlay or, or get your answer off of that same question because it's let me Let me just close. It is, but let me close it out with that. How many? Um, more than one so that you have a point of comparison. Like if you went out on one date and said, hey, let's get married, could be the girl for you, but it might not. It could, you you have no point of reference. Talk to at least two. I don't think you need to talk to more than three, unless you are the person that the cheapest price is the most important and you're willing to call seven, eight, 10 lenders to find that price and then trust that they're also going to give you a good experience while they're giving you Walmart pricing. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, Wesley came in and said, damn, Jeb, 300 milligrams of caffeine bang at 6 p.m. Bro, I can sleep like I could go to bed, right? I could lay down right now and fall asleep even after drinking this thing. 
And this is like, I don't drink caffeine. I drink water all day. Like this is literally the only, and I only drink this like maybe one day a week, twice a week. So yeah, I don't know, man. Keeps me going for you guys. This is two hours of talking here, bro. I got to do something. So do you have, do you have, our backgrounds. Hold on. I got well, a super no, sticker. Our, yes, but he had the question. They I know, but I want to get the money, sticker. man. He gave me the money. So I wanted to put the money out there. Did he money. get to pick those Miami Dolphins colors himself or did they assign that to him? For what? For his super sticker. It's orange and teal, like Miami Dolphin colors. Did he pick that or did YouTube assign that to him? You know, I don't know. Good, good question. Well, I, he maybe he can come in or she can come in and chat. They. Uh, I'm an escrow right now for an investment property. Comes with a studio. However, all of these articles about the housing market crashing kind of worries me. For a long-term investment, is it bad timing to buy? I think the the I mean, again, if the numbers investments typically about numbers, right? So, are you in that home for appreciation or are you in it for cash flow? If it cash flows now then what's the concern, right? It's, it's, I mean, can you get it cheaper possibly in the future? Maybe, but you might not be able to as well. So it's a difficult question to answer. I mean, as an investor, it either makes sense or it doesn't. It's a less emotional decision or it should be a less emotional decision uh, because it really comes down to what you're trying to accomplish. I think the second part of, of what you said there is, it's for cash flow. So if it makes sense now, it's going to make sense in a year or two years. Uh, but more importantly, Owning that property long term, which you said is is the key. It, I mean, what you said you were going to do is the key. So if you plan on holding it, you know, then then no concerns. I mean, I did a video earlier this week that I put out where I own two investment properties. Um, you know, in in 06 that I bought in 06, and both of them cash flowed. Uh, not a lot, but they did cash flow. And as the market corrected in in 08, you know, I got scared. I sold those properties. I really wish I held both of them. Um, uh, because I wasn't losing any money per month by holding them. I just got, there was so much going on. I was in the mortgage and real estate business. There were companies collapsing all around me. I was just like, try to get, you know, bare minimum and sold. So I think if you're buying for the right reasons and have the long term, you're in good shape. All right. Um, what is the best score that someone, uh, that someone looking to buy a house should have Josh? What's the cutoff? So yeah, varies by loan type. So let's talk about um, FHA and VA. For the most part, if you can get above 640 with FHA and VA, you're going to get a good rate. If you get above 680, you're going to get your best rate. There may be a few lenders out there that if you get up into the 700s, they'll pay extra for that, meaning giving you slightly better terms. But 640 and 680 um, are the important ones there. Now, on a conventional loan, it your minimum 620 and at every tier, 620 to 640, 640 to 660, 660 to 680, 680 to 700, it, it tops out at 740. So a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loan, 740 is the best tier that you're going to get. So no benefit in having an 800, an 820, a 785. Once you get to 740, you've reached the highest level. Now, when we start talking about DSCR loans, non-QM loans, jumbo loans, those lenders are when they sell the loans, they put them into pools and there's a weighted average uh, coupon in terms of the interest rate. There's a weighted average FICO in there. So they want to pay extra for borrowers with an 800 or an 820. So you may see them go all the way up to the top of the scale. I believe 835 is the highest score you can have. And they may pay extra all the way up to the top of the tier. Jumbo lenders, for the most part, will pay extra in those 20% increments all the way up to 800 just because they want that quality in their portfolio. Good, good stuff. Uh, John Jones, UFC fighters in here, says, are electrical fires harder to investigate than chimney fires? 
honestly have no idea on that one. Um, I don't know that they're harder to investigate. Both are probably, you know, insurance, like you should be able to get some sort of, uh, you know, claims with the insurance company to show exactly what happened, um, unless they didn't file it, in which case, obviously a bigger concern. But I don't know the answer to that. Josh, any any knowledge there? None. 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 Whatsoever. All right. Total, total ignorance. No, that's all all good stuff. So let's go to some of these here. Start back at the top. Um, fun family. Our homeowner's insurance just went up due to an inflation guard. Uh, current homeowner's insurance is saying that they are charging an extra 8% because of a lumber increase. Should we accept this extra fee? Do you have an option to accept it or not that, accept it? You do not have an option. So, I mean, yeah, is, I mean, they are telling you if you want insurance from yeah. us, here is your new insurance rate. So, what I can say, Jeb, I've heard this from multiple clients. I don't know if you're hearing it from clients. Everyone's getting this. I haven't yet, but five, six, seven clients have told me they've got bumped anywhere from seven to 10%. And I tell them the same thing. You want to be with a reputable insurance company. So, if you're already with one, it's unlikely that it's going to be massively different with another. But shop it. Keep them honest. Go out and shop with a, another insurance company and see if they're any different. But this isn't unique. They're not picking on you. We're seeing this across the board. There you go. Good stuff. Um, got Rafi, Rafi coming in and saying method for making an offer significantly below asking, considering a home that has 120 days on the market above median prices, owners are not occupying. Uh, method for making an offer? I think you got to back it up some way. I mean, in some regard, right? Um you know, it's hard to do uh, because people will believe what they want to believe and or maybe they're not really sellers and they're just testing the market, which is some some things that we've thought about. But it, it doesn't hurt to put in an offer if you feel like, you know, you're you're um, you have an option at it. But what I would say is don't be upset if, if it doesn't get accepted. Right. I mean, just because a property's been on the market 120 days doesn't necessarily mean the seller is going to accept significantly less. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But if you can figure out their pain points some way, have your agent talk to their agent. You, you know, if you don't have an agent, call the agent and have that conversation. Figure out what they're trying to accomplish. Why has it been on the market for 120 days? Why are they moving? What's important to the seller? If you can play into any of this stuff, that will help you in making your offer. Now, each one of these is going to be a little bit different, right? If if you know, you know, it's a divorce situation. You, you might have a little bit more leverage, right? The, the longer they keep this going on, it, it, you know, the, the the people are at wit's end and you know the profit is typically being split between two people. It's not just one person in many ways. So there's a lot that goes into this sort of thing. If it's a trust sale and maybe there's five family members all splitting them. I mean, there's so many things that can go into that conversation and you trying to figure it out will help you in making a, a strategic offer. But at the same time, I don't know that there's a way for you just to say, hey, listen, this is my price um, and I'm basing it on these, you know, this. And if I'm not willing to go any higher, you can do that and see if they come and, and play ball. But I mean, again, you can't be upset if they don't. Jeb, let me ask you yep. this. Generally, when someone has 120 days on market yep. over over the area median, it's an overpriced home. Almost mm -hmm. anyone looking at it, other agents, potential buyers are looking at it, seeing that in your experience. Like my first thought goes, well, with your offer, maybe you send the most recent three comparable sales and show them. Logic doesn't really work with these people, right? They're kind of in no, not most of the day. I mean, they, they want a price for the home. They do, um, and and, it, and some of it could be the agent. It could be the agent not willing to have that conversation, that difficult conversation with the seller, because maybe that agent told their property, told them that the property was worth X, 
and the agents doesn't want to have that conversation because maybe they don't want to lose the listing or don't want to trust me agents most agents don't like to have difficult conversations nobody likes to have a difficult conversation but sometimes it's necessary the quicker you get through it the quicker you um can get to to where you want to be and if they're a real seller they need real information i mean i i update my clients you know listings once a week every monday we talk about what's happening in the market in an email so we can go back and have those conversations say hey look you know three weeks ago these were the comps i told you this is what happened was happening in the market this is where they sold now this one came out it's less like you know we thought the market was doing this we need to adjust we got we got to pivot if 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 your goal is still x then we need to do this to get you to x and those reminders so um it can be a lot of things it's not always the seller it's not always the agent um sometimes there's external factors playing in you know maybe it's a parent saying hey you're not going to sell that property for less again you just don't know all right uh, I appreciate you and the super chat though. Let's see. Let here. me let me throw yep. he had a follow-up here and I have a little anecdote to go. He says, I assumed if the house was empty, they were motivated. Am I wrong? Um, there was a house that I wanted to buy for like five years, and the house sat there empty, and the people did not care, never put it on the market, wouldn't respond to uh right. inquiries to to buy the property until one day, lo and behold, boom, there's a sign in the yard, and you just the people that are behaving irrationally, trying to figure out why they're behaving irrationally is is very hard because there's a million reasons why they might be. Um, and you'll drive yourself crazy trying to figure it out. No, you said something there. Like I have a client in that is here locally in Huntington Beach and he owns a, a multiple properties and he owns a property on a street that has a vacant property. Um, and his his goal is to buy a couple properties for his kids as they grow up. And he said, ideally, I'd love that house because it's next to the other one and my kids could grow up, you know, and own houses beside each other and whatever property has been vacant. So every, I don't know, however long, you know, every couple months, I'll write a letter to the, to the owner on file. Never gotten a response for years. Never. Nobody's ever gotten back to me. So I still sits vacant. I don't know. Like what's the purpose of sitting vacant? I, you know, you don't know those, the, the, the plans of the people owning it. So I would say typically speaking of a property's vacant, yes, there, there's more urgency. There's more reason to get rid of it, but it's not always, um, a one size fits all. Uh, Jakey, Jakey has asked this question a couple of times. What is the most you think the housing market will drop nationwide? Josh, we answer this question every week. Just give me that. Just give me the quick. Well, first of all, I don't think there's a nationwide number. It would be different. It would be different in different areas. The areas that have strong economies are going to do better. Um, we, our friend Stephen likes to talk about the Bay Area. Their economy is struggling a little bit, and they're seeing uh, more decrease than other areas. Big answer, it, I would be shocked if we saw a 10% decrease. Good stuff. I, I agree with that. Um, so, yeah, simple. Um, and I think less in some markets and you know, maybe, maybe more in some markets, but you know, there's some pockets outside of, um, you know, like new Orleans, like right. Part of that market out there didn't really see the appreciation that, that a lot of the country saw just because they've been, they've had other issues going on. Those markets are going to get hit a little bit harder, maybe in, in a big recession, um, than others. So anyway, I think 10% would be a lot. Um, Josh is paying 20% now worth it or will 3% do with a conventional loan in the overall payment? So if you can put less money down, is that, you know, recommended? Is it always recommended you put 20% down? Is leverage okay? How do you feel? It, it varies based off of your qualifications. 
if you have an 800 credit score and you're putting 3% down, and especially if it's a, it's two borrowers, uh, a couple, and they both have 800 credit scores, they're gonna have really low mortgage insurance, not that big of a premium that you're paying. And it might be nice to have that extra 17% around. Now, if single borrower and they have a 680 credit score, it's a hefty premium that you're paying um, in terms of both interest rate and mortgage insurance. And you're probably gonna wanna look at the 20% down. Like my feelings on this come down is there's always a balance. I would rather you have a nice amount of reserves. So maybe the answer in, in this situation is do a 10% down, keep 10% reserves. Um, and if you if you can put 20% down and you still have 50, 60, 80, $100,000 in the bank, by all means, go ahead and, and do it. There's a return on that in terms of not having to pay the mortgage insurance. It gives you a safety net and a cushion if something were to happen in terms of the housing market. Um, if you put 3% down and you need to sell a year from now, that home has to have gone up about three to 5% for you to not have to bring in money to close. So there's reasons for that, especially in the current market. This isn't you know 2021 when we can say, hey, have at it. Next year, it's going to be worth 10% more. Um, and you might be able to even get rid of the mortgage insurance in 12 to 24 months. It's just a different market. Be conservative, know yourself and have your lender run the numbers, but also think in terms of, I don't ever like seeing people, even if it's a big down payment, put all of their money into the house. I like to see some reserves. Good stuff. Um, SNN Media Production, Zoll Photography. Let me take a breath. I got me. Um, Goldman Sachs announced today that they want all employees back in the office full time. JP Morgan doing the same. How do you think this will affect house prices given many people relocated for remote working? I see this being less of a concern for one reason. Could it be a concern? Absolutely. If they actually mandated everybody to go back to work. I think more employees are going to fight this um, because of, you know, the environment. And if you guys have been following the labor market, the job market at all, Many of these companies are having a very difficult time finding good qualified workers to begin with. And so I think if they want to keep their staff and keep them happy, they're going to have to have some sort of hybrid work environment um, where, you know, they're a mix back and forth. Could it go all one way? Sure, it could. I don't know um, if if that can happen just because of what they've allowed at, to this point. Uh, but Josh, what are your thoughts on it? Here's the big thing. I don't know that there were a lot of people who relocated and bought in another area without being very confident that their their employer was never going to call them back to work. You know what I'm saying? Some of these places were like, your job doesn't need to be here on site. I mean, I'm sure there were some people who just rolled the dice, said, cool, I'm remote. I'm going to go do this. I don't know about you, Jeb, but for me personally, I wouldn't move from California to Boise when my employer says I can work remotely, unless I was very, very confident that that's a permanent change, not just, hey, now you can work remotely. So impossible question to answer. I'm just trying to apply logic to it. I don't think there were a ton of people that are gonna be on the wrong side of it and have to either take a lower paying local job or go back to uh, to a, a prior job in another city, but we'll see, I, 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 I don't know. I think the answer, some people are gonna have to sell right? And if they want to keep that job, some people are going to say, screw it. I'm going to go find another job anyway. I'm not doing that. And then some companies are just going to give in and give, you know, employees what they want because they don't want to have to deal with, you know, um, the hassle of trying to find another qualified worker in an environment where they're already having that difficult time. So I don't know. I Could it be a problem? Sure. But I don't know that it's going to be to the level where um, it's going to see, you know, you're going to see uh, demand, um, 
I mean, you're going to see supply just build like crazy because of it. Uh, Marco said, how can I get rid of an escrow payment, Josh? As long as you've met the requirements, which depending on the program, if it's an FHA loan, you're going to have it forever. VA does not require it, but most lenders require it with VA, so they wouldn't let you get rid of it. Um, you can always ask. Uh, a couple of the big wholesalers, United Wholesale, will allow you to do a VA loan without impounds. On a conventional loan, it depends on how much money you have put down. Um, and again, it depends on the servicer. It's not hard and fast. So if you have an impound and you no longer want it, you should call your servicer and say, hey, we would like to eliminate the impound, get our money back, and I'll be responsible for paying my taxes and insurance. Um, and they should be willing and able to do that. They'll give you a refund and they will unwind them getting the bills for, for both of those and you'll be responsible for them going forward. Good stuff. Uh, Fun Family has a question following up on the homeowner's insurance thing from earlier. Would you suggest shopping around? Sure, shop around. Never hurts to, to get another quote to see if you can get it lower. Many times, if you've been with the same insurance broker for a long time or company, they can raise fees in there and you don't go anywhere. And it takes you going out shopping and trying to do something else for them to adjust. So uh, never a bad idea. Um, let's see here, uh, art backgrounds, investment property comes to the studio. We talked about, uh, owning investment long-term earlier. I think it's long-term if you're in it for the right reasons now. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with buying it with having that longer term time horizon. Now, if it's a property that doesn't cash flow now, doesn't work now, but you think because the market's going to appreciate or, or rents are going to go up in the next year, then it's going to work, then you should do it. Then no, the answer is you should not do it. Uh, but if it makes sense now, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't work long term. Jeb, let's go to a couple yep. easy ones here. Yep. Prac 68 says, why do VA loan take so long to close? Um, because you're with the wrong lender. They don't take a, a long time to close. <laughs> VA does not do the loan. They don't process the loan. The lenders are delegated to underwrite fund, close the loans and send them to VA for insuring after that thing is closed. We've closed VA loans in 14, 17, 21 days. So if it's dragging on, taking too long, you're probably just working with the, the wrong lender. And then Jeb, Ambrose popped up here. Another good question. Yep. Ambrose comes back. Not only does he have the best profile picture, he, he comes back with two or three good questions every yeah, week. So, solid hair. Same haircut as last week. Are loan requirements weighted differently for those involving a co-buyer? Um, if it's two co-borrowers that are going to live under the same roof, you and a friend, you and a spouse, you and a fiance, you and an uncle, no. It, it, what happens is they add together all the income, they add together all the debts, they run the debt to income ratio. You will be subject to the lower of the two credit scores. If one of you has an 800 and one of you has a 621, we're dealing with that 621 credit score. Um, but for the most part, no. Where, what I did wanna say, if you have a non-occupying co-borrower, sometimes a parent will say, hey, my kid just graduated from college, they don't have a work history, whatever, I'm gonna co-borrow and let them do that. There can be some slight differences with a non-occupying co-borrower depending on the loan program, but even that for the most part, Part, they're just lumping together all income, all liabilities, all assets, and running the ratios off of that. Good stuff. Uh, Oz's and Acres. I'm a debt-free cash uh, buyer, real estate investor in the Midwest. I sleep well at night, but my friends think I'm stupid for not leveraging my houses. Am I dumb for ignoring them? No. You got to do your plan. Don't do your What's right plans. for you. Yeah. What's right in, in your world, right? If your goal is to have no debt on investment property and you sleep while doing that and you're able to reach your long-term goals by doing it, Dude, do your thing or do that, whatever, do your thing. Um, you know, I was having this conversation with Josh recently. In fact, um, if, if I bought, you know, another primary residence here, 
and I ended up selling my property instead of keeping it here in California, I would have a lot of cash kind of sitting on the sidelines. And the question was, do I go buy a couple properties cash and not have any debt on those properties and they bring in, you know, X amount per month? Or do I leverage that money and buy a handful of properties, maybe four in some cases, and put less money down and have four rental properties that, you know, ca still cash flow, but not quite as much and have four, you know, potential investments long term? it's all a preference. Like there wasn't like a sure answer where it's like, this is the way you do it. It's kind of depends on, on um, your risk tolerance and, and, and what you're okay with. And, and you know, one of the things Jeff that I, I've talked about multiple times, it's a little bit out of date and the guy has sort of an angle. He's a financial advisor. He has an angle of the stuff he's trying to sell, but check out misfortune one-on-one um, by Doug Andrew. He has a feeling that you should either um, have your home paid off like you're talking about or leveraged as, as highly as possible. And there's some logic to that. He says, I don't want, he's either one or the other. He says, I don't want any money tied up into that property because if I have 50% equity in the home and something happens tragically and I can't make the payment, the bank can foreclose and take that property from me and I lose my equity. If I own the thing free and clear, no one could take it from me, which is also not 100% true. You can have a tax default, um, any other things. So there's there's some logic to, to either side of it. And for a conservative investor, one of the things that when I'm talking to clients that I always want to ask them, when we're making decisions throughout the process, there is not a right answer. And one of the things that helps us work towards the right answer for you is what's your risk tolerance? When we go to Vegas, do you head straight to the buffet? Do you head straight to the slot machines or do you head straight to the stores? Those are different What about people. the strip club? If you With, head to the strip club, what does that make you? And do you play the slot machines at the strip club? Dude, I want to know the, worst the answer to my question. If you head to the strip club, are you a gambler or are you, are you just even kill? Like, I want to know. I want to know what that makes you. I'm not saying, uh, you know, yeah, just asking, just asking, asking for a friend. Just kidding. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see here. How did we get so off track? Uh, Jennifer Lego says, are you still doing the home buyer education podcast? Oh, Jennifer, look at you, little darling. Uh, the educated home buyer podcast, right? If you just want to learn about buying a house, how to do it, uh, pros and cons of doing it, answer your questions, check it out. Um, any platform out there, you can get it. It's a different uh, deal than we do on here. It's Josh and I, um, instead of primarily being my channel, it's both of us educating on on housing, why it's important, um, and, and just diving deep into topics, 20 to 30 minute episodes, good stuff. So check her out. And it looks like that little that little square at the top there. You can find it online. And thank you for Jennifer. Thank you, Jennifer, for mentioning it. So um, let's see what we got here. God, man. Uh, I'm being, I'm being gentle. Uh, Josh, Dorothea, are there any cons for getting a HELOC in this current market? So maybe explain what a home equity line is. First off, a HELOC, what is that? And what should you consider in this environment? It's like a giant credit card attached to your house. So you can get 30, 50, $100,000 uh, tied to your home, secured by your home equity. Um, so you get a lower interest rate than you would on a credit card. Oftentimes you get a credit card with it that you can charge and pay down. 
Um, for the first draw period, which is usually 10 to 15 years, you will pay be required to only make interest only payments. So you borrow $10,000 and it's at 7% interest, you know, just multiply that and then divide it by 12, that's your required monthly payment. So um, the pros and cons of them, it, it's, it's nice to have access to money. A lot of times I hear people, hey, I just want it in case of an emergency. I wouldn't count on it in case of an emergency. Um, during the downturn in 2008, 2009, 2010, we saw people get them frozen, shut down entirely. Um, so it just depends on what you're going to use it for. They're variable interest rate because you can borrow against them and pay them down. So you're exposed to interest rate risk and they are directly controlled by the Fed. When the Fed raises uh, rates and the prime rate goes up, your HELOC is going to go up. So they're not the worst thing in the world, not the best thing in the world. Just know what you're using them for and what your plan is. If you have a need for $40,000 to do a new bathroom and kitchen upgrades, you're probably better off with a fixed second. And then also be aware if and when in the future rates drop and you wanna refinance and combine those now into one new first loan, um, with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, that's gonna be considered a cash out loan and you're gonna get slightly worse terms than you would otherwise. Good stuff. Um, Kim has a comment from earlier. It says, my neighbors just purchased a home. Their advice was not to worry about the price, just be able to make the payments. There's definitely some truth to that. But what I will say is you got to be buying for the right reasons. And, you know, we talk about a longer term time horizon. You've got to be in this environment. You've got to be buying a property, in my opinion, that fits your lifestyle or where you see your lifestyle in the next five to 10 years. Just because I think there's an opportunity for the market to move sideways for an extended period of time. Some markets that could mean down, some markets it could mean slightly up, but you're not getting the appreciation that we've seen over the last couple of years. And if you move in a market, if you're buying a house now with the intent that you're going to be able to sell it, I hear it all the time. I'm going to buy this house as a starter home. I'm selling it in two years and I'm going to take that money and buy another home. Maybe you do. Maybe, maybe that works out and that plan is, is great, but maybe it doesn't. And so you've just, in, in this environment, I think you got to be more cautious than you did two, three years ago because of where we're at. Anyhow, um, Josh, let's see here. Uh, this is something I talked to you about the other day. Well, let's just get Kim's other question real quick. Is there a tax credit for buying a home within that year? Josh, get a tax credit. So whatever happens within that year is deductible within that year. So you're talking about deducting the interest, deducting your property taxes, being able to do that in your tax return. I, I yes, I, yeah. The tax I think, credit. There there aren't any tax yeah, credits okay. for for buying a home. So uh, it, same year doesn't doesn't matter. Right there you go. Um, yeah, there's always things you can write off on purchasing a property in that year that you buy it. Just like if you sell a property, there's things that you can write off cost involved that you can write off for that tax year. But at the moment, there's no you know twenty five thousand dollar tax credit or some of that craziness that uh, you know uh, presidents, uh, future presidents, past presidents were talking about um, in in times of reelection, if you will. And if you hear it this time, just know it's probably bullshit. Um, just like the last time they were talking about that, we kind of talked about probably not likely. Um, and it didn't happen. Um, Wasim has a good question here. Why is open door still buying and listing homes at a discount a couple weeks later? Am I missing anything? You bring up a really good point. Um, I, I mentioned this, uh, in the last episode, uh, you know, um, some clients of mine back, my brother and sister-in-law sent me a property it was an open door property that was purchased in June. Um, it showed recording in August, came back on the market uh, just a couple of weeks ago, actually like a day or two before last week's episode. So about a week ago. And they bought that property for a, a, 
a million? Yeah, a million two seventy five. No, a million two twenty five. Million two twenty five is what they paid for the property. They listed it back on the market less than two three months later for just like a million seventy five or something. Um, and my you know they my client sent it to me. I looked it up and I said ah, comps really support like a million two seventy five. So fifty thousand dollars higher than they paid for the property. So the question is why are they listing it significantly less? I don't know the answer to that. Um, I went and tried to call the agent. It's an open door deal. They operate differently. I got some 800 number. I wasn't dealing with that. So I didn't um, go any further. So I just flagged it and I'll continue to watch that property and see where it ends up closing. The only thing I can guess in this scenario is that they priced it lower to try to get demand, to try to draw eyeballs, right? What we know is exposure drives demand, demand drives price, right? So the more eyeballs we can get on a property, the more demand we can get around that property, the more demand we get on that property, the, the the higher price we can get for that property. So if we list it low, get a lot of people looking at it, making an offer, we can drive that price up. That is my guess. Uh, but we'll find out. We don't know. Josh, 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 what do we got? We got an interesting one here from the ghost of Tom Petty. Um, how do you feel about the all-in-one loan, such as what CMG Financial offers? If I remember correctly, the all-in-one from Petty's CMG, here? Tom Petty is here. He's got a great question. If I remember correctly, CMG's all-in-one, and I'll look it up when Jeb's answering another question, is their first position HELOC, where uh, you have a home equity line of credit for the entire thing. And what they suggest with it is instead of using your bank account, like when your paycheck comes in every month, you have it go and pay down the mortgage. And then you use the checkbook and the debit card to pay your expenses through the month. So because your interest is calculated on an average daily balance, you're paying less interest and you pay the house off more rapidly. So if I am off base and confusing the products, I apologize for answering the wrong question. Um, but in general, uh, again, it's a variable interest rate. Don't love it. I'd rather have a fixed rate and just deal with things more conventionally. You can see a, a demonstration of it in Excel or any other illustrator and say, oh, that's going to work awesome. But there's too many variables there to know for a fact how it's going to work for you going forward. Good stuff. Um, let's see what we got here. We got some educated idiots in the comments, I can tell you. <laughs> two, two degrees doesn't get you much in terms of intelligence these days. Um, let's see. What do we got? What do we got? Yeah, Andre has a good one here. Jeb, yep. what listing site uh, that the public has access to is closest to the ones you use as a realtor if uh, they don't have a realtor yet? Any of them? Uh, yeah, I think I think they're all good. Um, I mean, they're all pretty. Um, they all show a lot of information these days. Or I think Redfin's probably the the best looking um, website, the the easiest to navigate, in my opinion. Um, so I, I I like Redfin for that regard, um, or in that regard, Zillow also comparable. Um, so I would think those two are probably the best. Uh, both show price history. Both show all the information that you probably want as as a buyer. Um, so yeah, either either of those are good. I will tell you, for me, visually, Redfin is is better. Yeah. Um, there's two things that I look for individually with each of them. Zillow has the rent estimates. They're they're not any more accurate than the value estimates are, but it's a good idea to give you a range of what rents are going for in an area. Um, and the the funny thing is, like when the market was down and recovering, it always. Um, overstated values of the homes. And then when the values were going up, it understated the values of the homes. So there's always a little bias. It's it's time 
for it, it takes time for the algorithms to catch up. But the thing that I like about Redfin is in most areas, it makes it super easy to see the property taxes on it. So um, for me as a loan officer, a lot of times I don't want to log into the title company's website and look up the actual tax rate. I can just hit Redfin and see it quickly. You as a potential buyer can see that. Most areas it's pretty consistent, but if you're in a state like Texas, there could be pretty big variance from one county to another uh, in terms of what the property taxes look like. And you may want to look that up and Redfin makes that super available. Good stuff. You like that, Ben? You like that, Ben? Good stuff, buddy. Good stuff. Um, ZA says, is it true that Silicon Valley market is dropping in price? If so, in percentage, has it dropped? What? How much percentage? Uh, yeah, we actually, um, the, the genius Steven uh, in the chat there is in that market and mentioned uh, seeing some drops in, in prices earlier in that market. Don't know it well enough to know. Um, listen, price drops, price reductions, price improvements, whatever you want to refer them to them as are part of every single market. They've been around, they were around in 21 and 22, even in that market, believe it or not, properties had price reductions. They just weren't as common. They just weren't as noticed because the market was appreciating. Nobody was paying attention to that. They're part of a normal market. You're going to see them. You're going to continue to see them. Are you seeing more now than in the normal market? Maybe. Yeah, sure. Probably because many sellers are still trying to get their price. Many sellers are, um, you know, stretching again, all part of what's normal. Um, you know, people have short-term memories and, and, you know, everybody's looking at the last two years going, things are changing. Therefore it has to be this because I missed out and I'm hopeful and I've been renting and, you know, whatever, and affordability is so out of line. And, you know, I got two degrees from college and I can't buy a house and I just need prices to come down. Not going to happen, buddy. Not, not now. It's, it's, it, Here, our price is going to moderate. Sure. They're going to moderate. Can they come down? Sure. They can come down. Listen, Are they going to crash? No, they're not going to crash. If you're 25 or 30 years old and the only correction you've ever seen is 2008 and you're referencing, have you seen the big short? Congratulations. You saw a movie and you understand how a terribly distorted market worked. And you should know the difference between the current market and that market and how that would prevent anything even remotely resembling that level of crash. But uh, apparently it's more fun to watch movies and talk about degrees and, and wish for student loan forgiveness. So it's not Ooh, student loan happen. forgiveness. That's nice. We can we can have a correction. Home prices absolutely can go lower from here. And if you look at it, one of the things prior to the crash in 2007, the media loved to push this narrative that we've never had a, a home price decrease on a nationwide basis. Well, so what? Who cares? For us in Southern California, and I would assume the Bay Area also, we had seen two to three decent sized corrections, you know, five to 10% corrections over the previous 20 years, 25 years or so. Um, the Houston market got crushed when, when oil got beat up in the early 80s. So it can absolutely happen in any given market. And the Silicon Valley may have a terrible time over the next two, three years. I don't know. Um, but if you're wishing, hoping, dreaming, that there's going to be a 30, 35% correction and you're going to swoop in and buy a house at a massive discount and laugh at all the poor people that bought at these higher prices, you're out of your mind. And again, the, the whole foreclosure, uh, you know, crash porn that we've been looking at for the last two years, if you listen to those people, like, again, if you're going to spend two hours. Dude, you froze again, bro. Listen, the YouTube gods don't like you here, bro. Bro. Good stuff. Good stuff. You like that, Ben? Good stuff, Ben. Ben, it's good stuff. 
All right, we lost Josh. Josh is out. We're taking him out. Anyhow, you're going to have to deal with me. Uh, let's see here. Um, you asked earlier. I'm not even going to go and try to pronounce your name. Ah, actually, I will. Sounds fun. Lamina, Lamina Aranya. Close? I don't know. Um, how North Dallas market will behave if there's a recession? In it? I don't know North Dallas. I know Southern California. You know, um, I was on a conversation with uh, an agent couple couple what last week in fact maybe last week last week i think and uh, he was in dallas and he seems to think dallas is going to do well he's a real estate agent right all real estate agents think the market's going to do well right prices are always going to go up right josh always always going to go up forever no i don't know the market well enough talk to an agent locally they they had asked a specific question so this is a funny thing um uh, jeb and i have a a mutual friend uh, randy teakle he's a loan officer in that market and he's in salina and i was on a call with him last night um Again, take everyone's opinion with a grain of salt. He feels pretty strongly about the area. But one of the things he was saying, there's a lot of new construction in that area. So for us in Southern California, sort of a blind spot or an area that I I don't know how is going to get impacted and play out kind of leads back to George's question earlier. There is a lot of supply coming online in the next year in many of these markets that have open land. um, And it remains to be seen how that's going to play out. And it will largely be dictated by where interest rates are at. If interest rates are at 6% when those homes come online, um, there may be some issues. If interest rates moderate back to the four or four and a half percent range, they'll probably get absorbed pretty quickly. Bro, we got some people coming in here. David Yang thinks the uh, the heat's burning up the internet lines. It's too, there's too many electric cars plugged well, in California. Well, can't, well, can't support the grid. Ty, Ty says I'm on a 56 uh, <laughs> modem over here. I don't I don't know what the problem is. Dialing in, Josh is dialing in. Um, we're gonna get a couple more questions. I'm gonna end it. Not you, sis. Can you offer less for a foreclosure than it's listed for? Sure, absolutely, you can. Um, yeah, back in back in the heyday, you could get foreclosures for less than the market value. Uh, but obviously, you know, um, you know, if it's on, if a foreclosure is actually coming to market, especially during this time, it's going to be hard to uh, to get it for anything less than market value. If you can find something off market, I think you got a better opportunity there. Um, Jonathan says. Do you think China's economic situation could affect the prices of real estate here in the U.S.? Josh, any thoughts on China? It's above my pay grade. We probably need Stephen to answer this one. Um, I I don't think it has a a great impact on on us. Um, Economy, it's the second largest economy in the world. So in terms of that, if they have big issues there, it will come over and impact us. How it would impact us, again, above my pay grade. Yeah, I mean, when in 08, what affected all these other markets is they were invested in the, the mortgage backed securities that the U S was issuing. Right. And so when, when it happened here in the U S it affected everyone because some, many of these countries had their assets invested in, in these bonds um, that were triple a rated when they were actually garbage. Uh, I don't know that we're, we're invested in China's uh, economic uh, real estate world. Um, so I, I don't know what happens there. I think, you know, I, I do know that a lot of investors, a lot of people with money in China have been trying to invest outside of China for a very long period of time, um, bringing money here to Southern California, bringing money to Canada. I mean, that's one reason Canadian prices are so high, because there was an influx of of money coming out of, of Asia into that market. So I don't know if if, you know, how prices crumbling there actually affects the U.S. at this point. I don't. Yeah, I, I have no idea. So, um I guess we'll find out, won't we? Uh, Josh, what do you want to end on here? What do you want to end on? 
We got a good one here. Just applied for my first loan. Interest rates are going up again. How worried should I be? The asking price is still to be appear to be out of control. It's very concerning. So if you applied for the loan, you don't have a property. So there are lock and shop options. If we believe that rates were going to be going considerably higher from here, you might consider something like that so that you can lock in a rate when you find a home 30, 40, 50 days um, later down the line. Um, we saw this in June-ish. I think I'd have to pull up the chart, but that was when we kind of hit the last peak in the 10-year at about three and a quarter. Um, I think we're going to see that keep a, a lid on uh, on rates, and we will probably uh, correct from there. I do believe the economy is slowing down. I do believe that will lead to some improvement in interest rates. Nothing significant until, as Jeb led off the show with, until we start seeing some significant decreases in inflation. Um, but with that, there's always the possibility that rates could go higher. I guess the question that I would ask is find out what the rate is today and then say, what's my bailout rate? What is the rate I wouldn't buy at all? So if your rate today is five and a half percent, you say, hey, if rates go up to six and a half percent, I'm out. I'm not buying. Then you got to kind of look and say, OK, I would buy at six. I would buy at six and a quarter if I can lock in somewhere in that interim, because you will pay a little bit of a premium for that lock and shop. If you could lock in a rate that would still keep you in the market, maybe that's the route to go. Good stuff. All right. So we're reached that time of the show. Ask that you like and subscribe if you found any value tonight. If we answered your question, we didn't answer your question. Hit the like. Um, Steven, you can hit the thumbs down. I get it, bro. It's all good. Uh, but we but appreciate that, you being but, here. But, but we appreciate but I do the appreciate seventy dollars. No, we I appreciate it. Listen, I, I don't I don't hate people. It, I mean, it makes it makes the conversation better. It makes it more fun. If everybody agreed, this would be boring. Um, so thank you for being here. All the support. Uh, if you need to get in touch with a lender, a real estate agent, there's a link scrolling at the bottom there. Check it out. Um, happy to make that referral, that connection for you, get you, there's no cost, any of that good stuff. Uh, so make sure you're doing that. If you haven't checked us out on the podcast already, make sure you do that. I'll throw one more thing on the screen just to really screw with your eyes and have like everything that we have to offer up on the screen at the same time. Check out the podcast. This last week we talked about house prices being sticky to the upside. In fact, video coming out on Friday, more in depth, actually using real numbers to show you why that's not likely, why home prices aren't likely to drop just based on where home prices have been, even though the market's changing. So check that out. Um, and if there's something you want us to cover, we haven't covered, let us know on that as well. Josh, where do you want to leave the audience tonight? What's important? Uh, let, What's on leave, your mind? Let's, let's leave it with this thought. My job is never to talk someone into buying a home. My job is to give expert advice to people who would like to buy a home. So anyone who got the misconception that this show is about promoting home ownership or telling you you should buy a home, you have to buy a home tomorrow, has got the absolute wrong idea. If you're in the market to buy a home, you want to become the educated home buyer, you want to make good decisions, we're here to answer that. Whether you buy or not, I am going to do fine. I don't need to make the, the volume of, of loans that we did the last two years. We will do just fine at a half or a third of that. So the market dictates volume. We're just here to give good advice to the people who want to transact in any given market. And last thing I'll say is Nightbot came in with the best comment. He said, Ben, what? You think I was gone forever? Stop spamming caps. Now, Ben was asking, ask a question earlier. What's the best way to find homes with fiber optic telecommunication networking capabilities? Listen, I have fiber optic in my house, um, you know, here locally in Southern California. I don't know if this is a real question or not, but here in Southern California, you can go on uh, it's frontier. Now you can go on and see which areas have fiber optic. Not all of them have it. 
I'm assuming there's something in the areas that you want to be where you can find this out. Um, if not, I don't really have an answer for you. So, uh, but if you're in Southern California, it's pretty easy to find out which, which areas have it. Uh, that's all you had on your mind, Josh. That's it. All, it's all I Nothing had. Nothing else. It's the end of the night. It's long. We're almost two hours into this. It's seven o'clock. Two hours. People since 8 all right. Well, we appreciate you being here, guys. Uh, I do continue to appreciate all the support. Um, until next time, adios. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.